You are listening to a sermon by Tanner Sherlock. Visit chialphashatternstate.com for more info. So, uh, I was listening to a sermon a few weeks ago by uh, um, Pastor Stephen Furtick, and he was talking about Samson. And some of you guys that know me um, know how much I absolutely love Samson, the story of Samson, um, his, his tale in Scripture is one of my favorites. Um, it's great just because, I mean, through the, it's only a few pages long. I think it's a total of three chapters within Judges. But within those three chapters, you get this very, very vivid picture of who this man was. Uh, you, you get this picture of how powerful he is and, and uh, what, what he represented and why God chose him. And it's just a, an extremely dynamic story. And I've read over it hundreds of times, maybe not hundreds, but a lot of times I've read through this story. And I'm listening to this sermon by Stephen Furtick, and he, he, he touches on a point that I'd never grasped before throughout the story of Judges. And this point just absolutely revolutionized how I saw the story of Samson. And it's revolutionizing how I see all of the characters, or not characters, all the, the people of the Bible. They're not characters, they were real. But it's actually revolutionizing how I view all of the, the, the people within Scripture. And so today, throughout this sermon, I'm going to kind of reveal that image that Stephen Furtick came up with. And, and I just kind of took it and ran with it and created my own sermon. But <clears throat> if you want to read about Samson, I encourage you to. That can be uh, what you can do after, you know, throughout this week. Go to Judges 13 through 16 and read the whole story of Samson for yourself so you can get this picture of what I'm talking about. If you've never read it, it's definitely an easy, good read. I recommend it highly. Um, but basically, uh, Samson was set apart instantly from birth um, to be a, a Nazarene. The Nazarenes were basically people who were set apart to serve God. They were people set apart from, from their birth to serve and be servants of God. And there were a few stipulations. Among those stipulations, they weren't allowed to cut their hair. They weren't allowed to drink um, alcohol, and they weren't allowed to touch fermented, or not fermented bodies, dead bodies, fermented wine. They can't drink fermented wine, but they can't touch uh, dead bodies. I guess they would ferment too. That's uh, and it just in a different way. Awkward. But they weren't allowed to touch corpses. And uh, throughout the pages, as you're reading about Samson and 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 this Nazarene you begin getting this picture really quick of Samson's power, Samson's strength, uh, uh, what it meant to have been chosen by God, what it meant when God came upon him. He was an absolutely powerful, powerful man. And the things he was capable with, capable of just blow my mind still to this day. Uh, one of the very first things that happens is a uh, lion comes up running at him, and he grabs a lion and he tears it in half with his bare hands. That's powerful. That's, that's, that's a feat of strength. And so, immediately right after that, he, does, he, uh, he makes a bet with some, some of the Philistines that were a part of the, the bride party of the woman he was going to marry. He made a bet of 30 garments and uh, 30 articles of clothing. And he loses the bet. Because he creates this riddle and, and the riddle's figured out and he loses this bet. So instead of going and buying 
the 30 pieces of garments and, and 30 pieces of clothing, what he does is he goes and finds 30 Philistines and he kills them and takes their clothes to pay his own debt. So this man, obviously, he, there's a little bit not quite right, but you can begin seeing how powerful he is right off the bat. There comes a point in which he's surrounded by Philistines. And to fight them, he grabs a jawbone of a donkey, a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he strikes down a thousand Philistines with a jawbone of a donkey. So the, the, the power and the strength that Samson possesses is, is very quickly and very, very uh, uh, definitively put forward within the pages. It's hard to deny how powerful Samson was physically. But through the pages, as you're beginning to read it, and, and like I said, something I had missed before, as you're reading it, and now after I tell you what I'm talking about, you'll understand it, but as you read it, something bigger begins to surface, and, and something a little bit more powerful begins to surface. And it becomes clearer and clearer as you reread it. And so I, I want you to follow me here. So when you have a toddler, and the toddler is getting ready to walk, a lot of times what happens is the toddler will step up and take a couple steps and he'll fall down. And so what mom and dad do is they walk up behind the toddler and they stick their fingers out, let the toddler grab a hold of their fingers, and then they'll walk with them. I actually had a, a, a dog once. It was an Anatolian shepherd, big, huge dog, big old fluffy dog. He actually taught my oldest nephew how to walk. My nephew would walk up to him while he was laying down and start harassing him. And the dog, uh, the, his name was Duke. Duke would stand up and he would wait for Caleb, my nephew, wait for Caleb to grab a hold of his tail. And Caleb would grab a hold of his tail and then the, uh, Duke would just slowly start walking with him. And there would be Caleb in tow holding on to him, slowly walking behind him. And so we actually straight up, um, our dog Duke actually taught and, and was the, the one that helped my nephew learn how to walk the most. But something happens here, and, and through this story, what I'm saying is uh, the, the, the child doesn't necessarily have the stability. You know, they've got the strength to walk because, you know, when mom and dad, they're not lifting them up in order to walk, they're just helping them out. They just don't quite have the stability. And so, keep following me here. Samson was one of the most powerful men that ever existed but he was missing something. He was completely unstable. He was lacking stability. He was powerful, but he didn't have stability. He would get so angry that he would freak out and just murder people. One of those terrible decisions that he made when he would get angry was this awesome lady named Delilah. She was, she was fabulous. She was such an awesome lady. But basically, she tricked him into giving up the information the, the key to his strength. And as you read the story, you realize that the key to his strength was one of the things that set him apart as being a Nazarene. One of the things that gave him his strength was his hair. And she revealed that information, to, or he revealed that information to Delilah, who then cut his hair and his strength left, and he was a little old weakling just like you and me. See, Delilah was awesome. See, Samson didn't have a strength problem. He had a stability problem. So let's take another piece of Scripture. 
another person from the Bible who was powerful. We look at David. David was a a powerful person within Scripture. He was powerful in a, a totally different way than Samson. He wasn't powerful in the sense that he murdered thousands and thousands of Philistines. But early on in David's walk, he was also stable. See, he went from absolutely nothing to being in, 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 uh, in line to the, the throne. He went from being a shepherd to leading the Israelites. He went from being a, a tiny little person who the armor of the king in front of him wouldn't even fit him to slaying a giant named Goliath. And he set himself up for success. But see, later in life, in David's life, we see something a little bit different. Although David grew in power later in life, he was more powerful, had more more authority in the kingdom of the Israelites. Even though he was more powerful, he starts to lose something. Something happens and he, he finds himself having an affair with another man's woman and then eventually basically murdering that man. So what happened? He was still a powerful man of God. He was absolutely powerful. But his stability started to slip a little bit. He became a little bit unstable. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about emotions. It's not like he all of a sudden started leaning on his emotions a little bit more. I'm not talking about emotions. I'm talking about stability. Emotions aren't necessarily a bad thing. Although we've talked about in months past that you can't necessarily trust them all the time. But they aren't inherently evil. They aren't inherently bad. That's not what I'm saying here. And and though we have emotions, we have the emotions. Just make sure your emotions don't have you. But here we're talking about stability. See, we live in in, in America. We live in the most powerful nation, powerful nation on the planet. Hands down, we are the most powerful nation in, on this planet we call Earth. But I don't think there's a single one of you in here that would say that we are exactly a stable nation. We've got presidential candidates who have assured us of their power and their strength, but we'll just say they're a little bit unstable. See, Power and stability are two totally different things within Scripture. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy 4. If you don't have it, it will be up on the screen. Starting in verse 1. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Verse 3, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. See, our faith needs to be planned out. We need to be proactive in our faith. It needs to be prepared. It needs to be prepared ahead of time. And I'm not talking about prepared like how 
a, uh, a girl plans out their future husband. He needs to be six foot three, blue hair, blonde eyes, strong, can sing. <laughs> Same difference. He can sing, he can dance, he's funny, his parents are rich. He comes from a, a strong background. Our kids will be strong. That's ridiculous. I'm not, not talking about planning it out that way. What I'm talking about is being prepared. Being prepared is different than planning out your future. We need to be prepared as Christians. See, reading the Bible, as soon as you recognize that the world around you is collapsing, is a good thing. But you probably should have been a little bit more on top of it and been prepared and been reading the Bible all along. So when the world started falling around you, you could be prepared for it. Or perhaps even prevent it. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God. Starting in verse 12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. That's Ephesians 6. I recommend reading all the way through it. But through Ephesians 6, it, it becomes clear we need to be prepared. It tells us we're in a war, whether we like it or not. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're in the war. It just depends on what team you're fighting for. And it's saying we need to be prepared for that war. We need to be proactive in our faith. We need to be putting on the full armor of God before we get to battle. See, if we're proactive in our education, that's a good thing, but if we're not proactive in our education, and you've got this big, huge Chem 14 test coming up, because Chem 2's not hard enough. You've got this ridiculous test coming up, and you've spent absolutely no time preparing for it, no time studying for it, and you show up to class, and you read one little paragraph right before your test, and then your teacher passes out the test, so you walk up to the teacher, and you ask him for the answers, you're probably going to fail the test. See, if, if you're an athlete, if you're a football player, and you don't look at the plays, and you don't talk to your coach, the entire season, and you show up to the game on game day, and you read through two little plays, and you walk up to the coach, and you're like, coach, I need help, you're probably going to get a lot of help. It's going to be to the bench. You can't show up to the game on game day and think you can jump in and be the starting quarterback and not have prepared. See, professional athletes, specifically professional football players, prepare all year long. They're working out. They're studying plays. They're doing what it takes to be prepared. They spend 40 plus hours a week, 50 weeks a year, to prepare for three hours a week for three months of the year. See, but we can prepare like that for a football game, but what's preventing us from preparing like that for God? 
See, if there was a test tomorrow, are you studied up? If there was a game this evening, have you memorized the playbook? Have you spent time studying and preparing? See, because if you show up to the football game and you're not prepared, yeah, you might score a touchdown, but chances are you're probably going to get beat up pretty bad. If you show up to a test and you haven't studied, you might get a few answers right, but more often than not, you're probably going to fail. See, what does all of the power in the entire world matter if it doesn't come with a hint of stability? Stability in our faith comes from our proactive preparedness in our walk. I used to have this teacher back in elementary school. My favorite teacher. He was awesome. He would show up. He was actually the school counselor. He would show up every once in a while, maybe once every few weeks, and teach us some sort of life lesson. And I can actually remember this specific incident so perfectly because it just really stuck with me. He shows up with a stack of papers. He says, all right, I'm going to pass out this test. And immediately, as soon as he says, I'm going to pass out this test, you know, fifth grade students start to panic. I don't know what this test is about. What's this test about? What is the, what is the subject matter? Am I going to fail? Does this actually affect my life? And he just simply says, if you read the instructions, I guarantee that you will know the information well enough to get a passing grade on this test. So he just hands out, that's literally all he said. So he hands out this test, and immediately all my friends begin just immediately scribbling away. And the questions were really easy questions, like what color shirt are you wearing? What color is your hair? Easy questions like that. But for some reason, the teacher is saying, if you read the instructions, really stuck with me. So I read the instructions, and the instructions said, Read through every question before answering all the way through the test. So I began reading, and there was about 50 questions. I think there was exactly 50 questions. And I began reading through the questions. Finally, I get to question 50, and question 50 just says this. Write your name on the top of the paper and hand it in, and you will receive 100%, and don't talk to your neighbor. So I write my name on the paper. I walk up, and I hand it in. One of the rules is you can't talk to your neighbor. So I have to go back to my desk and sit down. And all my friends are like, dude, why did you finish the test so fast? What's going on? And I just had to sit there and not say a single word. And eventually, one way or the other, everybody eventually got through question 50. And they began feeling really stupid about themselves because they didn't listen to the instructions. And they didn't read the instructions on the test. And they actually filled out 50 questions that were completely nonsense. And it took them like a half hour something that could have taken them five minutes and they would have got 100% on. So what I'm saying here tonight, and the whole reason I tell you that story, is because what I'm saying here tonight can be summed up with that test. Start with the instructions and take it one step at a time. See, within our walk, you don't need to be this powerful, mighty person. You need to start with the instructions and take it one step at a time. When you're doing powerlifting, you can't immediately jump on the squat rack, throw up 500 pounds, and, and expect to squat 500 pounds. You also can't jump on the leg press machine, work yourself up to 500 pounds, 
and expect to then jump on the squat rack and be able to squat 500 pounds. Because the leg press machine will build strength, but it doesn't build stability. You jump on the squat rack, you're going to fall on your face trying to put that much weight on your back. So what I'm saying is, if you haven't read the Bible, start there. If you haven't spent time with God this week, start there. You don't need to be slaying demons and, and, and healing people with your shadow right off the bat. As a Christian, yeah, that's something that maybe you can build yourself up to, something that God could build you up to, and you might be a powerful, amazing man or woman of God, but what good is that if you don't start with the basics and you're not stable? See, I feel like in this room, there are a lot of us who are amazingly powerful and blessed with amazing strength of God to go out and do, to, to go out and, and change communities. But we struggle a little bit with our stability. And our strength is being taken away from us constantly because we keep struggling with our stability. We keep struggling with a certain sin or a certain addiction or a certain problem, a certain inhibition that just keeps crippling us over and over again. And so it doesn't matter how strong we are. It doesn't matter how much we love God if we're just simply unstable. Because here's the thing about Samson. And here's the thing about us. Samson's hair grew back. As his hair grew back, his strength came back. And with us sitting in here, in our instability and, and our inability to, to keep focus on God, there's something cool that happens. Same way that it happened with Samson. See, our God is a God of second chances. He's a God of redemption. He's a God of full circle. Even if you're stuck in your instability, even if three hours before you came here tonight, you screwed up, you fell on your face again, struggled with something, God, our God, is a God of restoration. Like I said, He's a God of full circle. And so even in our instability, it doesn't matter if you've been unstable for 15 years walking with Christ. Starting right now, starting from scratch, building that stability, keeping your eyes on God the whole time, you can be redeemed. You can become stable in your walk. And through your stability, you can become a mighty, mighty, powerful man or woman of God. See, because the best part about the stability that I'm talking about, the best part of the stability that I'm speaking of is that you don't have to do it under your own strength. Because the one thing that you can do that can make you the most stable, that can build your stability up the most, is putting your stability in God and doing it over and over and over and over again. Because like the power lifter in the weight room, 
You don't start squatting 600 pounds. You start with the bar. And you do it over and over and over and over and again. And eventually you might be able to work your way up to a couple plates on each side. And you do it over and over and over again. And you work your way up to three plates on each side and you do it over and over and over again. We need to build our stability by keeping our faith in Christ and we need to do it over and over and over again. As in when you wake up in the morning, you need to put your stability in God. When you go to lunch in the afternoon, you need to put your stability in God. When you go to dinner in the evening, you need to put your stability in God. When you go to bed at night, you need to put your stability in God. So we are told in uh, Matthew 7 to build our foundation on Christ. Matthew 7.24 reads, Every the, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. So what I'm saying tonight is, we don't have to do it under our own strength. We don't have to do it under our own power. We put our, our abilities, we put our strength, we, we surrender them to God. But here's the thing, we do need to be proactive in our walk. We need to be prepared. Scripture tells us many times, and I read some scriptures to you, that we need to be prepared in season and out of season for things that are going to come up in, in our future. We have to be proactive in our walk. And I, like I said before, I truly do believe there are some amazingly powerful men and women of God in here that haven't been activated yet simply based on stability. And you might be sitting in here and you feel like your strength has left you. You feel like God has left you. You feel like God is distant. But here's the thing. Your strength hasn't left you because the Holy Spirit is your strength. You're not lacking strength. You're not lacking power. You have the Holy Spirit. You've given your life to Christ. It's keeping you up but you might just be lacking a little bit of stability. So we need to be making sure that we're building that stability in our lives. We need to make sure that we're studying for the test. Make sure that we're preparing for the ball game. Make sure that we're preparing in season and out of season for things that we don't even necessarily know are coming. Because as the pastor, as, as a pastor, as a Christian in general, one of the saddest things that can happen. One of the, the saddest things to see is somebody who is a powerful man or woman of God just has an anointing over their life. Walk away from God because of a little bit of instability in their life. Because some things came and, and hit them and, and maybe it was a death in the family. Maybe it was a boyfriend or girlfriend that they screwed up with. Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe it was something else in this powerful man or woman of God just completely abandons their faith. Completely abandons their walk with Christ. Completely abandons their faith in Christ. 
because of a little bit of instability, because of a couple problems that come up and hit them. Don't let your faith go to waste because of an attack of the enemy. So tonight, what I'm saying in the whole bigger picture, and I'm going to bring it all together right here, to build your stability, to build that up, to, to work on your stability, if you picture it the same way as a powerlifter, a bodybuilder, or someone, an athlete has to work out. They go to the gym every day. They spend that time every day working out. But it doesn't just stay at the gym. See, when they go home, they look at their nutrition. Maybe before they even work out, they take a pre-workout. Immediately after their workout, they go take some protein. A few hours later, they take some more protein. A few hours later, they drink or they, they eat some chicken. They eat some greens. They eat healthy. A few, a few hours later, they eat something else. They, they're monitoring every aspect of what they're eating, of what they're doing, in order to ensure that that hour that they spend isn't for nothing. And so our walk with Christ, in order to be proactive, in order to build our stability up, we have to picture it the same way an athlete would build their stability. We've got to be spending that time with God. We've got to be reading the Bible. We've got to be praying. We've got to be fellowshipping. We've got to be proactive in our faith. We have to be doing these things so that when the test comes, when that season comes, when the enemy comes against us, we're not flattened every time. In Matthew 7, like I said, to build our foundation among God, among Christ, so that every time the enemy comes, we're not like the people who built our foundation on the sand. Just because you think that you've built your foundation on Christ, you have to stop and take a step back and actually analyze whether you have. Whether your foundation is in Christ or whether your foundation is on your career your education, your family, your best friend, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, Netflix. Just because you say in your head one thing and you act a completely different way doesn't necessarily mean that the thing that you're saying is the way reality really is. If I stand in a garage, it doesn't matter how many times I tell the world and tell myself I'm a car, it just ain't going to happen. Like I said, best part about our walk with God, the best part about our walk with Christ is that God does all the work. He's done all the hard stuff. We serve a God. A lot of these other different religions, these false religions, they serve a God that it depends on how much good they do in order to get into heaven. It depends on their good outweighing their bad for their life. See, we serve a God that says, I know you're going to screw up. I know you're going to stumble. I know you're going to fall. I know you're going to be built up on something that isn't me. I know these things are going to come into your life, but you know what? I'm going to do what it takes to ensure that you can't be prevented from coming into heaven just because of all your screw-ups. He's saying it doesn't matter how many times you fall. How many times you've struggled in the past? 
you can build your foundation on Christ. It doesn't matter how many times you've screwed up. It doesn't matter if five minutes ago you screwed up. It doesn't matter if five hours ago you screwed up. Jesus came and He paid the price. God did the work. He did the effort. He took it all upon His shoulders to ensure that our end of the bargain is super easy. All we have to do is keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Man, that's so easy. That's so simple. Accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Love Him. Serve Him. Man, that's so much easier than being pinned up on a cross and tortured for hours. That's so much easier than having to go through and ritualistically kill a lamb every time you screw up. If I had to kill a lamb for every time I screwed up, I'd probably feed every single one of your families for the rest of your life. So tonight, can I get everybody to bow your heads? Let's close your eyes. I know in the past weeks I've been asking for a response from you guys. But tonight I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask for a response. Tonight I want you guys, while you have your eyes closed and, you, and, you, and you're, you're sitting there, briefly, I want you to be 100% real with yourselves. 100% honest. And I want you to just sit here and... and Don't make it about lying to yourself to make yourself feel good. It's not about that. I've been saying for weeks here, I don't care about how good you appear and how well you act like a Christian. I saw it on on a meme. I don't care how much you act like a Christian. God isn't looking for actors. And so I want you to be completely real with yourself. And I want you to be honest. And I want you to honestly ask yourself, Is my foundation truly built on Jesus Christ? Today, was my foundation built on Jesus Christ? Or was it built on my education? Was it built on Netflix? Was it built on Facebook? Was it built on my phone? Was it built on my TV? Honestly, ask yourself if your foundation overall, maybe you screwed up today and today wasn't a normal day, but it was definitely abnormal. And I want you to ask yourself and be honest. For this last week, has your foundation been built on Christ? For this past month, has your foundation been built on Christ? For this past year, has your foundation been built on Christ? And if even for a second, you think no, if you're sitting here tonight and you're saying no, I haven't been building my foundation on Christ. Man, this week has been a bad week. I have not been building my foundation on Christ. This month has been a bad month. I haven't been building my foundation on Christ. This year has been a bad year, and I have not been building my foundation on Christ. If the answer was no for even a split second, I want you to do one more thing for me. I want you to say to yourself, that does not define who you are in Christ. I want you to say to yourself, I am a mighty, powerful, strong man or woman of God. I can do all things. Not some things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Because as real as I'm asking you to be about where your foundation is built, I believe recognizing and knowing that your past 
doesn't have to define you. Your screw-ups don't have to define you. Your struggles don't have to define you. It's just as important in building our stability in Christ as recognizing where our weaknesses are. And so tonight, as we close in prayer, if this was you and you know I was talking to you, and while you were being honest with yourself, the answer was no for even a a split second, I'm going to say this prayer. And I want you to make this prayer yours. Listen to the words. Agree with it. Make this prayer yours for the next day, the next week, the next year. Recognize that your past doesn't define you. That who you were yesterday doesn't necessarily have to be who you are tomorrow. That starting right now, if you build your foundation on Christ and you don't look back and you're proactive in your faith, that you can finally get that stability that you've been longing for for years. If once a week you have to think, man, I'm just not close to God today. If that's you, I want you to make this prayer yours. And I'm telling you guys, I'll be completely honest with you. I don't think there's a single person in here, including myself, who can say that in the past year, there's not a single day that I didn't build my foundation on Christ. That there's not a single day I didn't feel distant from God. That there's not a single day that I didn't screw up. And so in reality, everybody in here is on the same playing field. I'm with you guys. I'm praying it because it's coming from me, from my heart. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Lord, I know I'm not perfect. I know I screw up. I know I struggle. God, I'm being real with you. I know that I struggle. I know I screwed up today. I know I screwed up yesterday. But Lord, I thank you so much that you're not holding that against me. Lord, I thank you that you don't punish me every time I screw up. Because you're not about that. I thank you that even when I don't have my eyes on you, even when I'm not looking at you, not looking towards you, even when I spend more time on Netflix than I've spent with you, when I spend more time worrying about my career than I do the souls around me, or my own salvation. That even when I'm focused on the things of this world, Lord, that you still come full circle. And you still work with me and you still make me one of yours. So Lord, I ask tonight that above strength, Lord, that you would give me strength. I know that I have your strength. Lord, tonight I ask for stability. And I ask You to help me to be more stable. Lord, when I wake up in the morning, I ask that You would remind me to read some Scripture. Before I go to class, I ask that You would remind me to say a little prayer. I ask that before I go to work, You will remind me 
take some time and, and listen to you and ask if there's anything you would like me to do. Lord, help me to be a stable Christian. Help me to be the man or, or woman of God that You've made me to be. Lord, I pray for Your will in my life. I love You. I thank You. It's the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. And in closing, I guess, the only thing I really have to say to close this out is within your relationships, within your family, within your upbringing, you don't have to waste time trying to pinpoint whose fault it was that you struggle with something. Maybe you had a terrible father, bad mom. Maybe you're adopted. Maybe your parents are divorced. Maybe you have an older brother who used to beat down on you. Maybe you have a sister who never treated you right. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe you've even been molested. Maybe none of those things apply and you can actually blame yourself for, for things that have occurred in your life. Tonight, and, and, and this moment going forward, I want you to say that, or I, I want to say that it's not your responsibility to pass judgment on anybody. It's not your responsibility to hold them accountable. It's not your responsibility to let that be a part of you. It might have happened to you, but that doesn't have to represent who you are. You don't have to claim that. In fact, identify it and speak against it. And so if that's a part of your life and that's something that's coming up, and I don't even know why I'm talking about this, maybe it's just one person in here that needs to hear this. But if that's been a major, major downfall and a major part of your instability, I want you to speak against that tonight. Speak against whatever it is. Don't allow that to define you anymore. All right. Have a good evening.